People are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 509. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Ra- James. Oh, no. you. <laughs> oh, shit. Did I mess up already? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no, that, here. like, that you works. sounded like podcast ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're getting ready to start your own podcast. <laughs> well, interesting thing about that is I just might be. <laughs> <laughs> so James is one of our listeners. He's also a supporter on Patreon. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And you are a flight attendant, right? I am, yes. We were talking about air travel recently, and we got a couple things wrong, and you told us. You were like, oh, no, no, no. If if you want to have somebody on sometime (laughs) who can explain all this, I'd be willing to come on. So we said, heck yeah. So here you are, and you're going to correct us, which I appreciate. Yeah, and just not all of it was like things you got wrong, just like things that I feel like need more clarification because like you sounded really worried about some stuff and I'm like, these are things that you should not be worrying about. (laughs) All right. Well, that's another reason I'm excited to have you on because I want you to make us feel comfortable about flying in general because it's scary for some of us. Oh, absolutely. Andrew just needs to know that when the pilot goes to take a shit, (laughs) the plane is not going down. I have other questions besides that, but I definitely want to talk about the uh, pilots pooping on the plane. We can absolutely talk about that for sure. Where do you live? And what's it like traveling the world as a career? So I live in Detroit now. Um, I moved here for the job um, just because this is where I'm based and... It's a lot easier to live in the city that you're based in. A lot of people do commute, so they live in one city, but then fly to work. Um, But I just... (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's insane. Fly to work, yeah. And that's just not something I wanted to do right off the bat with this being a new career for me. Um, Yeah. But it's completely changed my life. Just I'm constantly living out of a suitcase, living like trip by trip so like basically like three to five days at a time Mm -hmm. always having to pack get home repack it's yeah bizarre but i love it yeah cool how is detroit do you like living there (laughs) on no (laughs) (laughs) i i i like it because it's a city and i just being from a small town i've always wanted to be in a city but just this is not the city for me. I hate that there's really no public transportation. The roads are horrible. I just huh. But at least you're on the road all the time. Well, exactly. And the water I'm, is I'm not great. <laughs> yeah, I mean Flint's not too far away, and still right. don't have clean water, so that's always fun. Do you like every time you drink from the faucet? You're like, oh god, what if it's contam- contaminated? I try not to think about it too much. I'm just like, oh, it's just boosting my immune system. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you more about your job later. But a couple other things to talk about here at the top of the show. The Jonas Brothers are back and people are really, really excited about it. When they announced their new single, it was like it was like NSYNC announced they were coming back. Was there anybody here really excited about their return? No, me. Not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> I figured Pam would uh, be a big fan. You were a Joe Bro fan in, back in the day? 
Oh, no, actually, I, I not like a huge one because I think that I was a little bit too old and they were marketing the Joe Bros to a little bit of a younger audience. But I feel like uh, Joe and Kevin, no, not Kevin, Joe and Nick specifically have done a lot of really interesting stuff since uh, taking a break from the Jonas Brothers and they've really thrived respectively as musicians. So I knew that one day when they came back together, the music was going to be good. <laughs> so that's why I was excited. And I was reading also that they teamed up with Ryan Tedder for this song, who is the front man of One Republic, but also just a hit machine when it comes to producing and also writing songs. So it's just like a recipe for success, this track. And it's a bop. It's great. I don't find Sucker to be that great, but I'm excited to see the Jonas Brothers back. This is like such easy money for them. They reunite. Everybody's so excited. They're going to continue to be so excited. I guess they're putting together an album, right? I don't think they've announced anything yet, but I, I feel like an album is coming. There's no doubt about that. Also, the music video is hot. They have all of their super attractive significant others in it. And oh, it's great. Well, I don't want to be reminded that Nick Jonas is straight, so I won't be watching that. <laughs> <laughs> also, I told you guys that there was an open position on my HOA board, mm-hmm. and the big meeting happened a few days ago. Remember, one of the members wants to get out. They have other things going on in their lives. They just don't have time for this anymore, which is fine. So the big meeting happened. Okay, who wants to step forward to run for the board? silence (laughs) it was so fucking (laughs) awkward and then the president drops this surprise on us he's like okay so we need legally speaking we need three people on our board so somebody has to take the position temporarily who here would like to do it again incredibly awkward silence and then the guy who's trying to leave decides that he is going to stay in his position temporarily until a new person runs for the board. And then we found out that we have to have another meeting once a month until somebody steps forward. <laughs> so oh, we're like Lord. locked into this now. I, I, I feel so bad because this poor guy want, wants to leave and he can't. <laughs> he can't get out. He's stuck. <laughs> and now and you could tell after the vote happened that the win was just knocked out of him because he was hoping someone would step forward and nobody did. So I'm thinking I might, I, I, I want him to be free. So I, I think I might run just to, this guy is so nice and he wants to go and he's stuck. But I'm wondering any ideas for what my demands should be? I feel yeah, like I should that's, issue some. That's the thing. You've got a lot of leverage here. Yeah. You know? So, I mean... I mean you talked about it last week, and I definitely think you should um, get that HOA fee reduced, if not completely eliminated, if you're yeah. on the yeah. board. Okay, so reduced HOA. I'm also thinking one of my demands should be Brooklyn is allowed to pee in the courtyard <laughs> whenever he wants. <laughs> okay, and so here's Brooklyn. my thing. I totally understand them not wanting dogs to poop there, but... What? Like, you can't control where a dog decides it's going to squat. You keep it on a leash. You make it stick to the sidewalk. Yes. I, I don't know. I just think about, like, if the dog does make its way into a grassy area and starts to, like, there's nothing you can do at that point. 
Well, you keep it on tight leash. We're trying to protect our precious new grass, Laura. Ugh, Actually, so I rude. observed somebody violating our pet rules, and I stepped out on my balcony, and I yelled <laughs> from my perch, excuse me, sir, that is not allowed. You did not. I did. I was that Ugh. fucking guy. <laughs> no way. Andrew. Because I am on the pet committee now, I need to lay down the law. I'm the boss now. That is Don't so obnoxious. No, but I'll tell you why I got to hold up these rules. Because then people on the board are going to be pushing to ban pets from the courtyard again. And I can't have that. So I swear, if I was out walking my dog and my dog was taking a piss and somebody started being like, actually, um, your dog can't <laughs> pee there. I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But Laura, you got your HOA situation. Yeah. So speaking of HOAs, I've been talking chronicling this HOA situation over the last few episodes, uh, where basically my HOA contacted me and let me know that my payments every month have been going to what I found out is our neighboring association. Like it's literally right next door, um, because our associations have very similar names. And they just realized that my two years of payments were going to the wrong one. And they'd been assessing me all these late fees that our HOA president had promised he was going to clear. Well, I got everything sorted out. Payments are moved over to the right place. Late fees are cleared. That's all done. Good. So yay. (laughs) Persistence. (laughs) Speaking of yay, I see a note here. You and Mark are celebrating two years on Monday. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, two years I, of partner in crime ship. Two years of love of your life. Two years of. Will you please put that glass in the dishwasher? Yeah. Oh, isn't it so sweet? Two years of kissing his hand when he talks too much. Oh my god! I know. <laughs> I'm such a burden on him. Two years of mutual admiration for red pandas. Such a beautiful relationship. Oh, thanks. I feel like it was just yesterday I was in Atlanta visiting and vetting him for you when you went to the bathroom. <laughs> I, I did a quick interview to make sure he was the right man for you. Uh, can I ask what some of those questions were? Uh, God, I, we were at a gay bar, as you might remember. Right. Well, I mean, that's like the number one qualifying criteria, right? Like, If he'll go to a gay bar. Yeah. Like I, my partner must be secure enough in his manhood to, to <laughs> be like, I can go anywhere and I'm not going to be... You know, I'm not a homophobe, basically. Yeah. Like, that would yeah, be a deal breaker. Im- <laughs> that was important for my relationship, too. Yeah. Duh. Well, you go to a gay bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are you guys doing anything to celebrate? Uh, we are going to go out to a fancy dinner tonight. Oh. Um, And then tomorrow during the day, I think we're just going to, like, have a video game day. It's going to be pretty low key. You're taking off work for the anniversary. Mm-hmm. Shit, that's a big deal. I always take off work for my anniversary. Oh. I took it off last year and for my birthday. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's very nice. Thank you. And he's moving in this year, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When his lease is up this summer. This summer. We'll see uh, how quickly he decides he can uh, no longer deal with my leaving half-filled glasses sitting around (laughs) the condo. Will you two be exchanging anniversary gifts? Um, I mean, we did Valentine's Day gifts. So, I mean, I hope not because <laughs> I don't... you don't have anything. Correct. 
All right. Well, well we have a lot awkward. more. To get. <laughs> <laughs> He'll listen to this after your anniversary. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of show to get to today. I just want to give a quick plug to our new patrons. Jennifer B., Aaron, Deisha, Robert, thank you for joining us. $2 patrons are receiving Hashing It Out and After Dark this week. They get the first bonus installments of Millennial each month. We'd love your support on Patreon. Laura, you said recently, I think on last week's After Dark, that you would be fucked without the support, right? Correct. Um... This is why I'm able to pay my student loans. No joke. <laughs> and go out on an anniversary dinner. So Correct. Thank yes. you for that support. And uh, shout out to everybody who joined us during our face-to-face benefit this morning. We hung out with patrons on video, which was always a fun time. Let's see. Who was there? Sean, JY, James, who's here now. And uh, Kelsey. Kelsey was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Luke a couple was there. Other- yeah. Luke, yes, yes. See, that was fun. And that flew by, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about uh, everybody's developing drinking habits as we age <laughs> and how our alcohol tolerances are significantly lower than they are now. We talked about pets. We talked about relationship things, just like a whole bunch of casual conversations about life. It was great. Yeah. It's always fun, and we're doing that once a month now, Mm -hmm. live on video, and it's a good way to uh, hang out with us. So, All right, on to some emails now. We got resistance from a, uh, during a recent, due to a recent conversation we had on the show. This is from Patrick, not my Patrick. He says, hi guys, your your most recent episode got me jumping a bit when you discussed the confession of a listener when she got a Valentine's Day gift from a middle-aged co-worker. Since I am now 50, I was a bit shocked by your reaction that it was creepy. Creepy? Really? What makes it creepy? Is it the age? Since it's a co-worker? He is married? Answer all these questions making this man in his late 20s or early 30s. Is he less creepy now? Really, I am interested to hear your feedback because since I am now considered a middle-aged man, I am... A cert- I am in a certain need to learn if I'm not allowed to appreciate the beauty, attractiveness, and intelligence of a woman anymore. Can we not, middle-aged men, allowed to be attracted to these women? Really, what's creepy about that? Uh, personally, the fact that he is a married man is totally inappropriate, and I don't sense that the listener was more concerned about that fact than anything else. Uh, so this is from Patrick in Quebec. Um, I would have to disagree i think it was an amalgam of things that really creeped the uh the confessionee out here and i don't think that changing up the age makes this any less creepy like hitting on a woman in a professional context is creepy and that is just a cultural shift that i think maybe a lot of men in sort of those middle-aged years are getting used to. But the other thing that you have to consider as well is that if this person is, you know, a new teacher in this environment and she's receiving this gift from a much more tenured person in that environment, there's a power dynamic at play. And she may not automatically feel comfortable trying to confront that because this is somebody who's very senior in that organization. And there's always that fear of like, 
if I bring this up and if I make an issue out of it, is it actually going to make my life harder? So, yes, it was creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Patrick. Yeah. No, don't be sorry. I, I was surprised we actually got this feedback, which is why I wanted to include it. Yeah. Maybe he was just shook because he kind of saw himself in this. Well, and I would also say you're allowed to appreciate the beauty of women. You're allowed to be attracted to women. But what you shouldn't do is use professional environments to express that. Yeah. That's not what that's for. This next email comes from Rose. So I was just ghosted after hanging out with someone for about three months and it honestly came without any warning. Literally, his last text was apologizing for not texting much that day because his upper management was in the building at work that day. I really liked this guy and was hoping things were going to lead to a relationship soon, so I'm depressed about it. I don't know how to deal because I don't have a reason for why he decided he didn't like me enough to continue the relationship, and I'm also not sure how to trust anyone because he was a really great guy, at first, I guess, and we had so much in common. Have any of you been through this or have any advice? It's been almost a week now, by the way, so I'm assuming I'll never get a reply back. Sent texts and Facebook messages that haven't been opened. Also, why hasn't he unfriended me on anything? That's a weird thing about this as well. Yeah, I've been ghosted before, and this is probably, I don't know, it it probably sounds really easy to say this, but I don't really care anymore a few years down the road. Like, once you get a little distance between you and this situation, you're probably not going to care that much. And you'll probably get to the point where you don't even remember this person's name. Um, But I think the whole thing, like the culture of ghosting is just about disappearing without having to have like an uncomfortable confrontation wherein you let the person down or tell the person you don't want to date them. So that's probably what's happening here. I also think that since this person is keeping you friended still, he might like be keeping you waiting in the wings, sort of like what very well could have happened is he reconnected with his ex or some bullshit like that. So maybe he's seeing if that's going to work out. And then if it doesn't work out, he's going to come back to you and suddenly be all interested again. And if he does, that's when you say, hey, fuck you. You ghosted me for weeks kept me hanging you didn't even read my messages butt face so no i'm not gonna have you back butt face yeah (laughs) use that phrase it's very adult (laughs) it really gets them if you really if you want to level up the adultness of this whole ghosting situation definitely call him a butt face (laughs) i also call people fuck face sometimes that's oh god i love that one (laughs) all right so we're about to talk to james but first A word from this week's sponsor, Open Fit. I am such a big believer in working out because when you do it, you feel good. I'm in a different mood when I take a couple days off from working out because I get what my history teacher, who was a fitness nut, used to describe as tired blood. When we were falling asleep in class, he would always say, y'all have tired blood. Tired blood means you feel slow and unenergized because you're not pumping that blood. You need to do it, not only for your health, but your state of mind. And we all know how much it sucks to feel like you need to pass out in the middle of the day. It's the worst. But you need time to fit it in. And that's where OpenFit comes in. OpenFit takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. 
It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. And that's the most important part about OpenFit. You don't have to drive to a gym. You don't have to struggle to fit it into your busy day. If you're at home or a place where you have a little bit of downtime, you can work out and you get results in a short amount of time. And it's more affordable than a gym, which is one of the best perks of all. Forget all the complexity and stress around getting fit and just press play. OpenFit classes are led by some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world, and they come to you. You can access anywhere and anytime, view on your computer, your web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, and Roku. It's just the best way to work out. Pat's been working out this way for years, which has turned me into a firm believer in the product. I love working out this way as well because going to the gym is a pain in the ass, especially in the winter. OpenFit has changed the way I work out, and with our code MIL, you can join me on a fitness journey personalized just for you. Again, use our code MIL and start using OpenFit for your journey to a healthier life. Right now, during the OpenFit 30-Day Challenge, our listeners get a special extended 30-day free trial membership to OpenFit, where you can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days when you text MIL to 303030. You will get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts, all the nutrition information, totally free. Again, just text MIL to 303030. All right, James. So let's talk to you about this interesting life of yours. Um, so this is a relatively new career for you, right? Why do you decide to pursue it? Yeah, so I've been doing this for, um, I'll actually be celebrating my one-year anniversary next week. Um, and it's something that I've wanted to do for many, many years, ever since I first took a trip abroad. I just have fallen in love with traveling. So I wanted to do whatever I could to travel for a job. And a couple of years ago, I was living in North Carolina and some shit went down where I ended up having to move back home. So I was just in a position where I needed a new job and there was a position opening. So I just went for it and now here I am a year later and loving my life. Oh, it it sounds like it was kind of like a follow your dream moment. Oh, it absolutely was. It was like it, the timing was perfect. So I just decided to go for it. And if it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't meant to be. But thankfully it was. So what does a typical work week look like for you? Because you're always traveling. Yeah, there's not really any such thing as a typical work week, honestly. Um, my schedule changes every month. Every week is something different, which is part of the reason that I love this job so much, because you never know what to expect, really. Um, I could be traveling domestically, internationally. You never know what's going to happen. Um, I can work anywhere from one flight a day to four flights a day. And there are some times where you, you're able to just work one day and then come right back home that night. Or you could be gone for three to six days at a time how many nights a week do you think you're actually home um i would say probably anywhere from like 10 to 15 like a month yeah wow yeah so that's like i said i i'm not really a huge fan of detroit but it's okay because i'm not really ever here Mm-hmm. <laughs> and is there, in terms of just like where you go, is there any kind of seniority that dictates what sorts of flights you get to take? Absolutely. Everything is based on seniority. So um, being brand new still, I'm at the bottom of the pack. So we, we bid for our schedule each month. And 
it's all awarded based on your seniority. So like the flights that I really love working are the international flights, but those are way above anything that I could hope to have on my on my schedule at this given time. Um so but there's a lot of flexibility where you can like swap trips with other people. So I've been able to do a lot of those trips that I like to do, but it just kind of requires a little bit of additional work with working your schedule. It's not something that's just automatically given to you when you're brand new. When you fly there for work, do you have time to enjoy those places or is it a pretty quick turnaround? For international flights, we're pretty much always given at least 24 hours in that city. Um, So there is time to get out and actually do a little bit. And at, at first it was kind of an adjustment because it's like there's so much that you want to do and you're like, you're here in this brand new city for the first time. You want to do everything. But then it kind of, you get adjusted and you're like, you don't have to do everything all at once because you know you're going to be back there. So even though, like, you think about going to Paris your whole life and then finally you're able to go. So you want to do everything. But it's not that once in a lifetime opportunity anymore. Are you building like a network of friends around the world? We're just like, hey, I'm coming back for 24 hours. Let's hang out. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the greatest things is I've got connections like all over the world now. Oh, that's so cool. Do you have them in your phone? Like Andrew Paris. <laughs> so you can't remember where they are. <laughs> um, I don't have it that specific quite yet. I mean, it's pretty much there's there's a few people in certain cities and I'm just like, okay, if I have a layover in that city, I need to make sure that I hit them up and let them know that I'm going to be around. What So what did we get wrong about in-flight protocol? T- tell us about that. So you were, you seem to be very concerned that the pilot was going to the bathroom and the flight attendant was going into the cockpit or the flight deck. And at first, I didn't really think too much about it. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was actually on a flight with my mom and the same thing happened. But we were on a very small one of the regional jets where there's only one bathroom and it's at the very back of the plane. So the captain had to walk through the entire um, through the entire cabin. And it's, my mom's just like, what is going on? Why? I'm like, like, he had to go to the bathroom. Why is this a big deal? She's like, well, but why did the flight attendant go in there? And... <laughs> I'm like, okay, so this is a thing that many people have questions about. And basically, it's for safety and security purposes. There, You have to have two people in the flight deck at all times. And in the event that one of the pilots has to go to the bathroom, then, yeah, a flight attendant goes up there basically just to make sure that nothing happens to that pilot that is still in there. So if or something were to happen where he were to have a heart attack or something. We're there right. to make sure that everything stays under control without flying the plane. Have you been in that position yet where you're the guy who slips into the cockpit? Oh, all the time. And what do you talk about up there with the other pilot? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they ask us like, okay, how's everything going back there? How are the passengers? And it's just like a lot of small talk because that's a lot of times that's really the only time we really get to talk to the pilots um, yeah. because they, we don't have the same pilots necessarily throughout our entire trip. We pretty much every flight we have different pilots. Um, so it's very small talk, just, you know, 
How's the weather like? How's your uh, view? <laughs> How's the weather? Hey, well, just look out the window. You can tell. But see, here is my problem. The, the, the pilot comes out to use the bathroom. And I get what you're saying here about the flight attendant going in. I, that all makes sense to me. But then he comes out of the bathroom and is just standing there in the galley just chatting it up with other people. I'm like, dude, get back in the cockpit and fly the plane. Well, and yeah, and like I said, they're, so they have very little time to actually talk to us. And it's like, I mean, if especially if you're stuck in that cockpit with someone that you don't particularly like, you just don't mesh well with, you want to escape for a couple minutes. That's um, true. And so they just kind of, they just need a few minutes to kind of get out and breathe. And I mean, they know that the the co-pilot is taking care of things, so they're not too worried about it. Yeah. Well, since we obviously have a nervous flyer here on the panel, <laughs> I was wondering if you have any reassuring things that you can tell nervous flyers um, based so, on your experience. I mean, I'm sure everyone has told nervous flyers, you know, flying is the safest way to travel, which is absolutely true. But beyond that, if something ever were to happen in flight, there's almost always a doctor on board. So that's that's always covered. Um, and even if there's not, flight attendants are trained to take care of pretty much anything that can happen in flight. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, yeah, you hear all about these different emergency situations that have happened in aircraft disasters. And the thing about that, we learned about a lot about different um, events like that that have happened and just what has happened because of that, because everything, every time there's uh, um, an aircraft disaster, they learn from that experience and um, new new procedures and protocol or technology is developed to make sure that something like that never happens again. How safe is the plane during turbulence? <laughs> like, <laughs> is it actually dangerous at you all? You didn't, don't you remember that? Turbulence actually makes the plane stronger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if that's true, tell me why the fuck that is. <laughs> no, that's absolutely not true. Um, ah. But it's it's not a it's not a problem at all. It's I mean, it's it can be a problem inside the cabin. Just like people can get hurt inside mm -hmm. if the turbulence gets really bad. But the plane itself is completely safe like they're they're designed to be able to withstand severe turbulence like that so that's nothing that should really be a worry to you okay if you say so i'm gonna uh, take out that clip and i'm gonna start playing it on loop on, <laughs> <laughs> on do, do you so you fly so much have you built up an immunity to flight scares like does anything bother you at this point while flying i'm it's definitely something that crosses my mind every time I get onto a plane, just like everyone else. Like, you know, something could happen on this plane. Um, but pretty much I've gotten to the point where until the captain tells me to be worried, I'm not worried. So oh God, but <laughs> has a pilot ever told you to be worried? No. So, oh. which is amazing. I mean, I have had one emergency landing, but it wasn't anything too serious it was more we're gonna land just so that this doesn't develop into something more serious and everything was fine um so but 
after that, it kind of was like, okay, so things like this do happen and it's not something that's never going to happen to me. It's definitely a possibility um, because I'm flying so much that one of these days something is going to happen and just hopefully it won't be anything too serious. Um, so I have a question too about like your social life in general. Does being on the road so often make it difficult to maintain a social life in Detroit or like, do you care about that at all? I would say it's kind of, it's changed my perspective on a social life because like I said, I have connections all around the, all around the country and all around the world at this point. So uh, social life here in Detroit doesn't necessarily mean too much to me because I'm not sure entirely how long I'll be living in this area. Um, and just with with the flight benefits, I've been able to go home and see friends back home frequently, much more frequently than I was able to when I was living in North Carolina. Um, so it's it's really just kind of changed what my social life looks like, not necessarily for the worse but here in detroit there isn't a whole lot that i've got going for me yeah do you make it a point to always socialize with somebody when you are traveling because sometimes i've traveled by myself and it can be just so lonely being in a hotel room by yourself absolutely and that's one of the reasons that i like doing the international flights because we have a lot more flight attendants on those trips um so you it's really easy to find at least one person on your trip that you're like, okay, we're going to hang out and we're going to be friends for this entire trip and we're going to do everything together. And then we'll just go from there and try to pick up more trips together um, in the future. If we really enjoyed hanging out. Yeah. What's the weirdest thing you've seen someone do on a plane? Oh gosh. Um, Uh, Yeah, I've seen pretty much all of it, but the worst was probably, I mean, there was one passenger who started cussing out the captain, and I mean, that's just, you... you, Why? I don't entirely know what his problem was, but he was was an issue pretty much from the moment we boarded the plane, Um, and later on, a passenger, like was looking for toilet paper in the in the lab and she like pulled open this drawer and someone had literally taken a shit in this drawer. Oh my god. <laughs> and of course we have no proof but we have a feeling we strongly suspect that it was the passenger that was cussing out the captain. Oh my god. He was like was I'll he, like, show ma- him. I'm going to go take a shit in a drawer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they they really stuck it to him. <laughs> I wonder if that passenger was mad at like how he was flying the plane, like oh you flew too sharply, or or oh we're flying at thirty eight thousand feet, you should fly at thirty five thousand feet, asshole. So basically, what was going on? This passenger was um was flying on a pass, so it was like someone who was like a was a relative of a flight attendant, and they were so they were flying for free, and. Basically, they were pissed off that they weren't in first class. Oh. They were stuck in the main cabin, and they're like, no, this... And so it just it escalated really horribly. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see couples trying to hook up in the bathroom? I haven't personally seen that yet, but it is something that everyone pretty much has a story about the time that it's happened on one of their flights. So it's it's inevitable that eventually it will happen. 
do people think they're not going to be noticed? Because it's it's not like the doors are hidden away. You will see two people go into a bathroom together. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe that's part of the thrill of it for them. <laughs> <laughs> I personally don't see the appeal, but you know, whatever whatever gets your rocks off, you know, you're more power to you. It's so small in there and like there's always pee on the floor because people can't aim point right, their like, dick in the right direction. <laughs> like what is so appealing about that? That is probably one of the most uncomfortable places that you could possibly have sex. It's just to say I joined the Mile High Club. I guess. How about favorite places you've traveled? What's your favorite What's your favorite city in the US and what's your favorite city abroad? Oh, US, I would probably have to say um I love pretty much anywhere on the West Coast, but probably San Diego is my number one that I love going to. Um but also Baltimore oddly is like one of my favorites, like but I think it's just because I love the hotel so much. <laughs> You know, uh, I once watched a show called The 10 Most Dangerous Airports in the World, and San Diego came in at number 10. So I don't know why you like flying into that Oh, one. that's interesting to know. Well, I, it's not necessarily the airport, though. It's the city that I love. So Okay. And it's yeah, close it's to downtown, so I'm right, sure yeah, that, that helps kind of cut abs- down travel. I don't, Andrew, I don't think that this segment has done anything to <laughs> like assuage any of your fears. <laughs> Feeling a little better. What, what's your favorite city abroad? Um, probably Zurich. Um, that was just that was an incredible experience. I've only been once so far. Um, and just it's beautiful there. The lake, the mountains, and just it's so incredibly European. That it's it's like everything I love about Europe just packed together in one little city. But Amsterdam is up there just because I've been there so frequently. Um, I've been to Amsterdam in the past year, I think, 11 or 12 times. Wow. And so I've just gotten to know the city really well. It's like basically like a second home at this point. Is your passport just completely loaded with stamps? Um, Actually, no, because as flight crew, we don't get stamped Um in most of the cities that we go to because that would happen we would run out of room in our passports so oh, interesting so yeah some of the places i've been to i've specifically asked hey can you stamp this because this is my first time here um so can i just get like my souvenir stamp like a yeah. stereotypical tourist i have one that's very specific uh last time i was flying they delayed us and we were all in the cabin and they said it was because they wanted to balance the plane what does that mean so, yeah, so weight and balance is um, something that they have to figure out for every flight. And it's basically they have to they have to um, get all of the cargo so that it's evenly distributed throughout the um, throughout the belly of the plane. And so then once you get the passengers on board, that adjusts that affects things as well. So basically what they were doing is rearranging the cargo underneath you so that it could even out the weight so they don't like rearrange people no that would <laughs> that would be way too difficult they just kept coming back to this one guy right behind me and i got a little scared I was like is this guy like a person of interest should i be worried <laughs> also people would probably get really offended by that if you started rearranging people they ended oh, yeah. up moving him to first class so I, <laughs> oh well if that happens the, the blow. 
Yeah, I mean, that was probably just an upgrade or something, but I don't think that had anything to do with the balance. Very interesting. It's the first time I'd ever heard that. It's like, okay. Well, uh, anything else we should know about air travel or anything? Um, do it as much as you can. <laughs> Good Is tip. really my advice. Just like, I mean, just travel, see the world whenever, whenever you have the opportunity. Just don't say no. And date a flight attendant. Maybe date James so you can fly for free w- with him, right? There you go. Yeah, I do get I I get one one travel companion that gets to go with me for free. Right now, That's it's awesome. one of my best friends, so nice. she'll be pissed at me if I bump her off. But <laughs> for the right person, I just might. Where are you flying this week? Um, so this week I'm actually on reserve, so I'm basically on standby, and they can pretty much pull me for any trip that needs someone. So if someone calls off, then I could get put on their trip. Um. So I don't really know, which is another really fun part of the job is like, you just don't know where you're going to be. I'm glad you see it that way. I would be up at night being like, oh my God, where am I flying tomorrow? I have no idea. It it does impact my sleep schedule quite a bit because I'm just constantly checking to see, okay, what trips might I get assigned? What's, what's it looking like? Where am I on the list? Yeah. I don't know if you want to say this, but is there a city that you just absolutely hate? Like if you had to if they assigned you something last minute, would you be like, oh, fuck, I don't want to go there? Um, I mean, Atlanta. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why do you hate Atlanta? Just because I spent eight weeks in training there and I'm just uh, like, I, I'm i over this. I, I don't like flying into that airport. Oh, um, yeah. It's Hartsfield just, field as an airport is a disaster. Yeah, it's it's way too big. It's got way too many people going through it. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I just don't want to be any part of it. Um, <laughs> and then just there's Springfield, Connecticut. They keep on trying every holiday. They assigned me a trip that laid over there. And I'm like, I don't know what's here. I have never laid over here, but I don't want to go here. So I've always swapped off of it. Um, but yeah, that one, I don't have anything personally against. I just they always try to do it to me on holidays. And I'm like, no, this isn't where I want to be. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, absolutely. That was very enlightening. And I, I do hope I was able to assuage some of your fears. You you did. Just tell, I'm not going to die, right? Just tell me that. Uh, no, you're not going to die, Andrew. I mean, eventually. Well, there was a little hesitation. Oh, well, I, I didn't want to say Definitely you're not going to die because you never know. But I didn't want to say that because that would not help you at all. Yeah. But basically just until the captain tells you to worry, just don't worry. I get, here's what always worries me. When he doesn't let the flight attendants get up. Oh, and that's, that happens very frequently. And that's just because they're expecting some turbulence. That's really the only thing. Yeah, but it's like turbulence is so bad it could throw them up to the ceiling. Well, yeah, so just stay sitting. And yeah. it's not going to kill you, but just stay sitting down and you'll be fine. That that was helpful. I'm going to play this all back, like I said. I'm just going <laughs> to keep, keep it on loop. All right. Well, before we move on to some news, we wanted to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, Rothy's. Rothy's is the company making insanely stylish and comfortable flats for women and girls from recycled plastic water bottles. I love my pointed Rothy's in plum. They pair with pretty much any outfit or mood, and they're great for the office or a night out. 
Rothy's has built one of the fastest growing shoe companies by giving us the everyday flat for life on the go for women and girls. It's stylish, classic, comfortable, and comes in four fashionable styles, the flat, the point, the loafer, and the sneaker. The color and pattern selection is amazing, and they're always updating their lineup. It will blow your mind that these are made from recycled plastic water bottles, so you can feel really good about wearing them too. And when your Rothy's have finally run their course, send them back to Rothy's for free to be recycled again as yoga mats, outsoles, and other environmentally friendly products. Right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners. Use code M-I-L-L to get free shipping with no minimum purchase. You'll also get free returns and exchanges, but trust me, you won't want to return these. Go to rothys.com, that's R-O-T-H-Y-S.com, and enter code M-I-L-L to get your amazing shoes and free shipping. This is a no-brainer. You'll get shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, plus the free shipping. Go to rothys.com and enter promo code M-I-L-L. Get this deal while it lasts. Haley, who is listening live, says, Andrew, at this rate, you're going to talk yourself out of your flight next week, which is <laughs> kind of accurate. I'm flying to Orlando next week, and I actually always think about a particular Orlando flight. James, you're going to have to tell me the term for this, but close to 10 years ago now, we were landing at Orlando Airport, and we were getting close to the runway when all of a sudden the pilot pulled out of the landing and we went back up. <laughs> Okay, and that that does happen every so often, and basically it was it was an aborted landing. Um, sometimes that happens just because they were going to be landing too close behind another aircraft that landed right before them, um, and they were just like, "You're not going to have enough time. You're going to be too close, and it could cause damage." So just pull back up and circle around, and then land again. Yeah, that was scary because you're like, oh, my God, we couldn't land. Oh, my God. So that was like the one time I had like a kind of crazy experience, a rare experience, I guess you could say. Yeah, it, it is. It is rare because um, air traffic control is usually very good about making sure that there's a safe distance between aircraft. But then every so often a plane could slow down a little bit further, a little bit more than they were supposed to. And so then it just reduces the amount of space between the between the aircraft all right on to some news now Pam, yeah so we're about a week away well not away but like the oscars happened last week so a week ago today and if you tuned in or read any recaps you will know that netflix won pretty big they had 10 nominations total and took home three wins and Uh, It's a big deal for them as an online streaming platform. But one person that's not really happy about this is Steven Spielberg. So uh, Steven Spielberg also serves as an Academy governor representing the director's branch on their board. And he's actually looking to uh, propose a rule change that would actually prevent streaming outlets from submitting their films for the Oscars. So uh, kind of a big deal because this is coming right off of Netflix's big win and he's definitely gunning to make sure this doesn't happen again. So he's gearing up to support a rule change at this year's Academy Board of Governors meeting. And in his statement from his representative, they said, Stephen feels strongly about the difference between the streaming and theatrical situation. He'll be happy if others will join his campaign when that comes up at the meeting. He will see what happens. 
this is a pretty light statement in general because Steven Spielberg has long since been a proponent of shutting out streaming uh, originals from the Oscars. Most notably back in March, he likened anything that premieres on a streaming platform to a made-for-TV movie and basically said that they had no place there and if they wanted to apply to win an Emmy, they could do that, but they shouldn't be allowed to enter the Oscars race. (laughs) So the new rule change would propose that a movie is required to have an exclusive theatrical window of at least four weeks. And um, Roma, to put into context, was only in theaters for three weeks. So that's a little bit petty. But uh, the current rule passed in 2012 requires no exclusive theatrical window at all. Uh, But for documentaries and movies made by streamers or premium cable Uh, one week theatrical engagement is what is required. And that has to be in NYC and in LA. And it also has to have movie, I mean, uh, newspaper reviews. So that's kind of where the current rule stands. But everybody that's kind of on favor of what Spielberg is proposing is basically saying that these rules are a little bit outdated, because when they were put in place, nobody really knew that streaming platforms would be contenders. And they're kind of pissed off that they're not uh, playing by the same rules as these more traditional studios. So uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, subject. And it's definitely taken the uh, film industry and people that are fans of films by storm. Everybody's talking about this on Twitter right now. And many who are opposed to the rule changes or the proposed ones are actually pointing out that non-traditional studios such as Netflix uh, don't offer as many opportunities for people of color or female filmmakers or anybody that's underrepresented at underrepresented to get their movies made, seen, and recognized. So changing the rules is actually limiting the exposure these kinds of films by these particular filmmakers are able to get. Uh, So Mm. there's a lot going on here, but it is definitely an interesting topic for discussion. Yeah. So Spielberg, obviously everybody wants to pay attention to him, or everybody takes notice when he talks because he's a legendary director. However, to me, this just feels like an old man yells at cloud situation yep. where you just need to get with the times. A it doesn't matter. Percent. I mean, what is the only difference between watching it in a theater and at home? It's screen size. Home theater systems are so great now. We have these beautiful TVs available. We can watch these movies in 4K very easily thanks to Netflix. And he's just mad that Netflix is beating Hollywood, traditional Hollywood, at their own game. Netflix is filling a need here. We don't want to go out. We want to watch it at home. Netflix says, we're going to make it very fucking easy for you to do that, and we're going to give you great content. Yeah, and you know, just because he may not be interested in making exclusive content for Netflix doesn't mean that other directors aren't going to take advantage of that. And like Pam mentioned, Netflix really makes um, this field more like of a level playing field where more people can have opportunities to, you know, share their art with the rest of the world they wouldn't otherwise have access to. So yeah, Spielberg. Sorry, man. I will say though, the movie-going experience at a theater is still fantastic. I think there are obviously still tons of people who enjoy going to the theater and seeing it with a, seeing a movie with a group of people. Uh, the experience of going out, maybe getting dinner beforehand, making it a whole date night, seeing a movie on a large screen in a dark setting, 
the movie theaters are getting better too. We get to put our feet up now. We get to reserve seats. Those are great benefits that I wish my local theater was currently offering, but it's not. Um, so there's still something to be said for going to a theater, but of course, but, but that, that doesn't disqualify other mediums. Exactly. Like clearly, Netflix is doing well enough to have great content and they're doing amazing things and it's clearly worthy of awards so i mean yeah that experience is great but that doesn't necessarily mean anything for the movie because there have been plenty of movies that have been horrible that were shown in the movie theater and they don't get any awards or anything so i don't think that having to see it in a theater should really mean that it's should distinguish it in any way yeah. Prime example, I saw Alita last weekend, and I'm sure that movie is going to get all kinds of like CGI related r- awards, but that movie was fucking terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. And I'm like, listen, if that movie can qualify for anything, then Roma should qualify, Bird Box should qualify, movies that have like much better writing. <laughs> definitely deserve their nods for sure i like how netflix or spielberg wants all movies to have a uh, theatrical window I, I and pam you said roma was in theaters for three weeks which i didn't even know i guess it was pretty a pretty limited release but who's going to go see a movie in a theater knowing that it's going to be on netflix for free a few weeks later Right, right. And it kind of, um, it's a little bit tricky, because I think that uh, a lot of these articles I was reading, they were pointing out that to make a theatrical release worth the while of these theaters, you actually have to commit to an exclusivity window before you're allowed to release it on VOD. So the rule is uh, three months, which is why it usually takes three months for movies to come out on DVDs as well. And for Netflix, that's kind of uh, a big exclusivity window because most people go to Netflix for instant gratification. Um, and also with something like Roma, just to bring it back to uh, films that are made by marginalized filmmakers or even kind of focus on marginalized communities, it's really hard to sell something like Roma to a theater because it's very niche. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a story that's not worth telling, but it also means that these movies are not necessarily uh, as enticing to uh, theaters and theater owners. So Netflix really uh, creates a space for these movies to have a platform to be shown to the masses. So I'm about to talk about a story that's very close to my heart because it's something related to my undergraduate institution, McDaniel College, which is a small liberal arts college in Westminster, Maryland, about half an hour outside of Baltimore. Um, They announced last weekend that the Board of Trustees had unanimously voted to suspend enrollment for future students in the majors of art history, religious studies, French, German, and music, as well as for minors in German, music, and Latin. Um, This is something that has definitely shaken the McDaniel community, both students and alumni, to their core, because many of us believe that this is uh, directly in contradiction to the values of what a liberal arts institution should stand for. So uh, the president, Roger Casey, 
indicated in his statement, which was, by the way, released at 10.30 p.m. on a Saturday, (laughs) adorable, um, that this decision was the result of a faculty-led review of the college's academic programs, except it wasn't. There was no faculty vote to suspend majors and minors. So when the proposal was put to a vote, the faculty actually attempted to amend the proposal to give the school another year to work through and consider potential changes by working with the affected departments. Um, Half of the faculty, or around half of the faculty who voted, voted yes on the proposed amendment, as in, if we are to proceed with this, we want to proceed by giving these departments another year. And the other half that actually participated in the vote voted no, as in, we don't want this at all. And there were about nine abstentions from the vote. Despite this, despite the fact that the faculty overwhelmingly expressed a desire to, at the very least, suspend this decision for another year, the Board of Trustees went ahead and unanimously voted to suspend enrollment in these majors anyway. Yeah. The other thing about this that was particularly disgusting was that uh, students actually showed up on a Saturday to peacefully protest that vote, and they were threatened with expulsion and arrest. Oh, my God. Yeah. And even there are photos that the Progressive Student Union put up on Facebook. Campus Safety even put a black tarp over a window to block the student's view of the vote. Wow. Yeah. This is really shady shit. Yeah, it is. And it's just, and it gets worse. Like, as you dig into this more and more, it's just so frustrating. So, one of the things that really pissed me off in President Casey's letter, um, he indicates that this decision was not made for financial reasons, but to quote, better meet the needs of the 21st century and to create new programs that will better or that will expand the curricular offerings of the college. My first thought was, so languages, art, music, and studies surrounding underrepresented groups are not relevant to the 21st century. Got it. Yeah. Dr. Casey. Brilliant. I also feel like this is code for making way for more STEM offerings, since there are just increasing numbers of high schoolers that are being encouraged to consider engineering and other STEM fields, which is totally fine. And I completely agree. The U.S. is behind in these fields. And we need to be encouraging more young people to go into those. However, you don't have to encourage enrollment in these programs at the expense of the arts and humanities. There's no doubt that small colleges are suffering right now and that hard choices have to be made to keep their doors open. A number of small colleges have had to shut down or even cut some of their offerings just to keep the lights on. But what's really disturbing here is that anytime schools look for opportunities to call their academic offerings, the arts and humanities are almost always first on the chopping block. There's this cultural societal bias towards preparing students for vocational work. And with that comes the assumption that the humanities are superfluous and non-strategic. And what that mindset discounts is the true value of an interdisciplinary education that can help teach skills that may well translate to your financial benefit. But it would also be lacking if it didn't teach you the history of your field or how it's impacted certain communities, and how your presence in that field shapes and impacts it. Do you think McDaniel is afraid they're going to be having to close their doors? I don't know if it's gotten that far yet. 
But I also don't believe that this decision came about as like, I don't think that the decision had nothing to do with financials. You know what I mean? Like Dr. Casey indicates in his letter that this has nothing to do with keeping the lights on. It's all about making sure that we're offering, um, you know, the kinds of majors that people are looking for and also about allowing us to determine, you know, what our course offerings are going to look like moving forward. That said, there is a lot of chatter happening in sort of like faculty and alumni channels about the fact that Roger Casey is actually not a great fundraiser, which is one of the primary functions that a college president serves. So excuse me if I don't buy that this was not at all related to finances. Has there been any talk of like, forcing him out is that possible is that a thing i'm sure it is a thing i don't know again i don't know if we're there yet in terms of where i'm sitting alumni are definitely banding together to try and use our positions to sort of pressure the college not to do this um many of us have begun withholding our donations and saying like we're not going to give you money as long as you are getting rid of these really important fields of study. Um, also, a number of us have, have connections to newspapers. Oh, Some of us are journalists. So people are writing about these. There have been op-eds written. I'm talking about it here on this podcast to raise awareness. So we are trying to use the outlets that we have access to in order to sort of disseminate the story to the masses and make them see what is being done to the liberal arts and humanities And this isn't just an issue in 2019. What's scary about this is that anytime it comes to economic anxiety and education, the humanities are sort of the first of the offerings impacted. And what's horrifying about that is that historically, in times of political unrest, humanities-based disciplines are the primary source of people's ability to dissent and, you know, reject fake news. Removing the possibility of pursuing these disciplines just serves to produce products instead of people. Art, music, literature, and language classes tend to be the places where students can best exercise and hone their ability to think critically. It's also an opportunity for a lot of people to pursue their passion. And suddenly yeah. they're not able to do that. They they will look away from McDaniel and any of these others that are cutting these types of uh, majors, uh, which is really sad, and it it it, it uh, disencourages people from following their passion. Instead, do something that they really don't want to do, and then they end up in a life that they don't enjoy. Yeah, and I mean, in this case, like the college was looking at numbers of enrollment in these kinds of majors, which is fine. Nobody is saying that colleges shouldn't ever be able to make changes to their offerings in order to be appealing based on what people are seeking now. But it doesn't mean that you have to take those numbers at face value and start trying to compare them because and start trying to compare them to like STEM fields because that's comparing apples and oranges. And again, this is indicative of a lack of critical thought, <laughs> which, the arts and humanities are famous for sort of imparting on people. 
you can't take two completely different like data sets and then say, okay, way more people are interested in this right now. So this must not be important. I thought that we could play a little edition of the number in relation to this whole discussion. How many people are going to get fucked by this? Um, a lot. <laughs> I mean, apart from the fact, like we're going to get into this in a second, but apart from the fact that um, you have students who may not be able to pursue these paths that they're very interested in, you have to consider the faculty who are going to mm-hmm. be impacted by this. Yeah. A handful of faculty members basically just got told, by the way, your job has an expiration date. Yeah. And usually being a teacher is like one of the most secure jobs. Yeah, especially on a college campus where you can do things like get tenure. But if you have professors here who have just found out that there's, you know, sort of an end date to their employment with the college, what is the incentive for them to hang around until that end date comes? Why would people want to do that? If you know that there's no tenure track for you, there's no future for you at this particular college, why are you going to hang around until the people who are currently in those fields of study graduate? Because they're allowing the students who are currently in those programs to finish out their programs before they completely disassemble them. But if it were me, I'd be looking for new employment right now. And then they're not going to backfill these professors when they leave, because that doesn't make any sense. So you're left with the options of either having understaffed departments for the duration of their existence, or backfilling with underpaid adjunct professors. So yeah, a lot of people are going to get fucked here. But considering the fact that I am not convinced that this has nothing to do with money. I thought that we could play an edition of the number, McDaniel College edition. President Roger Casey made this much money in 2015. Like this was his salary. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say $65 million. Uh, Okay. That's high. <laughs> I don't think... I don't All think right, I'll revise. I'll revise. Has that much money? One point five million. Okay. Okay. Well, now I'm not sure about mine. I was going to say ten million. I'll say three million. Okay. Um. That that was very high. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, Andrew said the bar high. We were like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, his salary in 2015 was four hundred and sixty-seven thousand eighty-six dollars. That's still a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of money. So much money. It's a lot of money when your primary function is to be a fundraiser for your school. And apparently you're not doing that super effectively. Laura, you should spend your second anniversary protesting with Mark up in, where is this? Maryland? (laughs) Maryland, yeah. Do you think there's a good chance they'll backtrack? I mean, if there's a lot of pushback. Maybe. I mean... (laughs) So I, I have some connections in the Ooh, story in case sources. you haven't noticed. Uh, yeah, some sources. And from what I'm hearing, one of the things that they've done is started to prevent President Casey from responding to this on social. What? Um, because, well, he's... Is he like I, Trump? He just tweets I've, all the time? He doesn't tweet all the time, but he's also very active in terms of his like, college president presence on social media 
And anytime somebody disagrees with him, he'll reply to their comment and be a bit of a dick in his response, too. And I'm like, listen, you're still representative of the college. Yeah. So you need to carry like the college culture in the way that you are interacting with students, parents, alumni. You can't talk to these people like they're idiots. That just so the idea of a president of a school interacting with people on Twitter just makes me feel uncomfortable. Like that's doesn't seem like something that should be happening. And it's really not usually on Twitter. It's on Facebook mostly, okay. but um, there have also been moves apparently internally to uh, prevent his presence on social media because he's just not helping. He thinks he's a comedian. <laughs> February 10th commercial. This is a tweet from February 10th commercial announces the walking dead returns to TV tonight. That's not a nice way to talk about the Grammy nominees. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he d- he became president of the college my senior year. And I just rem- what I remember from that year in terms of his financial legacy was he spent a lot of money on these stupid signs that they hung up all over campus that said changing lives on them because McDaniel College is actually one of the 100 or so college that, colleges that were recognized in this book called Changing Lives about small colleges that actually make significant impacts on students. And they just spent way too much money on these signs uh, to the point where one of my roommates in a drunken moment, managed to procure one of the signs. Procure it. Uh, Yes. And you would think that these damn things were made with like gold embossments and embellishments because campus safety was like sending out emails like crazy trying to get the sign back. And they were even offering to the point like you can just bring it and leave it at the office after hours and we won't ask any questions and it'll never come up again. We just need the sign back. (laughs) So that's kind of the legacy that I remember. Mm -hmm. I'm like, cool, that was the most effective way to spend funds. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I remember is that prior to his presidency, myself, my family, we received all kinds of fundraising materials and ever since he took over, we haven't gotten anything. <laughs> Nothing. I can't remember the last time I got a piece of mail letting me know about a fundraising event or a month or any kind of happenings on campus. Well, it's because uh, the people working in the school are very, very busy crafting funny tweets. Here's another one. From Roger Casey. Attention, young people. I'm so old. I remember pre-Malone. <laughs> oh, my God. This yeah. guy. Well, Laura, this sounds like something you're very passionate about. I'm sorry. It's happening at your school. I know. I think that's the other thing, too, is like you've wa- you're watching the humanities come under attack. Like the fact that in 2017, Trump was actually calling to gut the budgets for the National Endowment of the Arts and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Yeah. And you see it happening at small schools all over the country. But McDaniel really did change my life and really did set me up for the world that I was getting ready to step into. You know, I pursued graduate study at a different school that I feel no love or connection to. And McDaniel's the total opposite for me. I wouldn't be who I am without the experience that I had 
getting educated on that campus. And it's because I had access to all of these programs. And during my time there, they were very invested in the interdisciplinary nature of a liberal arts education. So watching that be disassembled, even, you know, even just looking at three departments is terrifying because I don't want to see that slippery slope effect of, okay, well, we got rid of religious studies and the arts and music. Let's look at what majors have low enrollment next. Don't take out the podcasting major. That's the one Laura pursued. That made her (laughs) who she is today. No, I was uh, actually a proud English and Spanish double major. Show off. I know. But see, that's why this particularly impacts me, because I was in the foreign languages department my entire four years. And so watching two thirds of that department no longer <laughs> exist in the future, it's it's horrifying. It really is. Pam, you went to San Francisco State. Is that right? Yes. Could you imagine this happening in California? Probably not. No, I mean... Uh, it's not the same, but I, I will say that the, the biggest problem that we had when I was going to school there was tuition hikes. And also, I think um, understaffing of certain classes and there weren't a lot of units. I feel like I spent more time at San Francisco State than I would have if they had gotten their shit together. Uh, there were a lot of classes that just weren't offered certain semesters and I had to take filler classes while I waited for those other classes to be offered. And, um, you know, I uh, study journalism, which is a school of the humanities. And um, yeah, I think that it really sucks uh, that these classes are the first to get cut because it really affects how long somebody has to be in a school, even when they're not just doing away with all of these programs or trying to. All right. So our final sponsor this week is Policy Genius, and Laura's got something to say about this one this week. Whether you're an insurance expert or a newbie, Policy Genius created a website that makes it easy for you to compare quotes, get advice, and get covered. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find the coverage you need as a, at a price you can afford. And from there, you just apply online, and the advisors at Policy Genius will handle all the red tape. They'll even negotiate your rate with the insurance company. No extra fees, no commissioned sales agents, just helpful advice and personalized service. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. Whether you're shopping for disability insurance to protect your income, homeowners insurance or auto insurance, pet insurance, health insurance, they can help you get covered fast. Laura, you actually um, went to Policy Genius for pet insurance recently, right? I did. Yeah. My dog Canela is getting a little older. She's going to be seven this year. So I decided to be proactive and get her an insurance policy so that I wouldn't have to worry. And you were like, Andrew's always yapping about policy genius. I'll go try that one. Yep. (laughs) So I used it. It's so easy. There's not even a promo code. (laughs) But really, this is the place to do it. One place for all insurance. Take a look at their life insurance options. It's not a topic we like thinking about, but it's an important one. No matter how much or how little you know about life insurance, you can find the right policy in minutes at policygenius.com. Again, Policy Genius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. They're so easy. I don't even have a promo code. Just hit their website, policygenius.com. Time now for recommendations. Pam, what is yours? I've been sick this week, so my recommendation is NyQuil and Mucinex. (laughs) Gross. I know, but you know what? It totally helps me sleep. It helped me sleep so much better, and I feel 
like my old regular self. <laughs> oh, good. But you sleep till like noon on NyQuil. Isn't that the problem? Yes, yes. It's definitely a potent cocktail that makes you yeah. very drowsy. As Andrew knows, I slept through my news shift one afternoon. <laughs> Damn it, Pam. Wake up and write. <laughs> my recommendation is looking at Amazon Basics. That's a line of products that Amazon makes. They are all so good. I've been loyal to Amazon Basics for a bunch of different things, including doggy poop bags. You can get like a whole box, 900 dog poop bags for very cheap. Um, What I like about Amazon Basics is the stuff just all seems very well thought out. Most of it has very good reviews. They end up being great quality products and the price is always right. Now, you know, I'm a little scared of Amazon's dominance, but I, I just really do like looking at these products when I need like a new iPhone cable or something for my home. They have office supplies. They have freaking furniture. They have kitchen uh, pots and pans. They have all kinds of things. I actually bought Amazon Basics light switch plates and power outlet plates, and I... I <laughs> I spent like 200 to replace all these. I didn't realize it was going to add up so quickly, but it did. And these are beautiful light switch plates and Amazon makes them. It's so crazy to me. So if you're looking before before buying like everyday home stuff uh, from like Target or wherever else you normally shop, just type in Amazon Basics on Amazon and you'll find a, a buttload of great products at good prices. I recommend if you are currently or attended university or college, reaching out to that institution and writing a letter voicing your support for the arts and humanities, even if those programs are not currently threatened at your institution, because we're seeing this happening all over the country. So it's never too late to voice your support for those programs and communicate the difference that they do make in preparing students for the world. James, enjoy following that very serious one from Laura. <laughs> I know. And I'm just like, can I change mine? Um, <laughs> no, I like yours. I like <laughs> He's going to be like, I recommend world peace. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's mine. Well, in all seriousness, this not so serious recommendation. Um, the House of Manalima in London, if you are in or are going to be in London, definitely I highly recommend going. Um, They're the graphic designers of the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts movies. Uh, And just their shop is really incredible. All the staff is super knowledgeable about just the different techniques and the things that you see there that you never would have seen in the movies is really amazing. But if you're not in London, their online store is amazing as well just check it out they do have stuff in like every price range and so some of it is very affordable and then some of it is like you have to be kind of crazy to think about spending this much on harry potter merch but there the quality is incredible i just got a print um it came in the other day and i actually am getting it framed right now because it is absolutely just one of the most amazing things i have ever seen they're the really great quality and what what what's the print um so it's actually it's one that's exclusive to the to the store in london um it's Gr- uh, grindelwald's heraldic crest oh, so cool. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I can't wait to get it back, and I'll be posting pictures of it for sure. Yeah. So I love this recommendation because every time I go to London, which isn't crazy often, but when I do, I stop by Mina Lima because the shop is just incredible. Like like you're saying, it's almost like stepping into a Harry Potter set because you see all this artwork from the movies. Um, and I have purchased um, the Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore book cover as a print. Oh, nice. Yeah. And also uh, the book cover of When Muggles Attack, which is seen in Deathly Hallows Part 1. It's in Umbridge's office. Um, but yeah, the stuff is expensive. They, over Christmas, I believe, just released something new. You can get a personalized Hogwarts acceptance letter. So it like oh, has yeah, your I saw that. Yeah. But it's fifteen hundred pounds. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> yeah. I almost wanted to do it for Pat, but then I saw that price. I was like, fuck no. <laughs> yeah, um, nothing is worth yeah. that. Didn't you you went to a Harry Potter premiere? Was it the Crimes of Grindelwald premiere? It was actually, yes. Um in the one in Paris, not the London one. Oh, that's so cool. Did you see JK Rowling? I did, yes, and I saw the whole cast. Like I was right there, right, right at the red carpet, and it was seriously one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, that's awesome! Did you just happen to be over there for work? Um, I I was able to pick the trip up, um, and I made sure to um, choose the trip that was going to be laying over on that date. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks, James, for coming on the show. You did oh, great. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we learned a lot. Yeah, you're awesome. Good luck uh, up there in the cockpit when you got a temporarily <laughs> sub for the pilot. Oh, I have another question I meant to ask. Okay. Is the pilot holding the steering wheel the whole time? <laughs> no. Um, actually, so whenever it's in autopilot, they have all the controls locked um, so that they don't like accidentally knock something. <laughs> Smart, I guess. So it's it's all under control up there. Don't worry. Okay. I've got it covered. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, we would love everybody's support over on Patreon. $2 patrons are receiving access to Hashing It Out and After Dark this week. Ladies, what are we talking about on After Dark? We're going to talk about some more movie stuff. We're going to talk about Rotten Tomatoes new changes, which also uh, were announced earlier this week. It's been a big week for movies, so. So that'll be available as part of Mega Millennial, which is the main show, ad-free, combined with After Dark for nearly two hours of Millennial. You also receive hash- Hashing It Out, which is our pre-show recording. Uh, Facebook official patrons also get new benefits like face-to-face and breaking news. Pat, Pam, and I recorded uh, an Oscars breaking news right after the Oscars wrapped last week. Um, we reviewed... The big wins of the night, including the shocking success of Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody. So again, patreon.com slash millennial. Laura really needs it. So please help Laura. Please help me. I'm poor. Uh, It helps all of us. And actually, we recently brought somebody on who's going to be working behind the scenes of the show. We'll introduce you to her in the weeks ahead. Um, but she's going to be helping us grow the show and that is made possible by supporters. So thank you everyone, including you, James. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys <laughs> for putting out great content. Oh, well, thank you for supporting it. We should come out with like a PBS style PSA. That's like millennial is supported by listeners like you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
James, what song are you really digging right now? Okay, so the flight attendant in me wants to say Toxic by Britney Spears. Just Why? because of, because of that music video. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Let's do Toxic for you. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I think we could rewrite the lyrics to Toxic to sort of be in line with Andrew's fear of flight. <laughs> Why do we have to remind everybody of that? <laughs> Especially because it's, it's an irrational fear. Yes, thank you. So safe. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm James. See everybody next time. Goodbye. Baby, can't you see? I'm calling. A like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. because the plane's going down <laughs> I know, oh my I was, god i was just thinking about like different ways you could do the lyrics like <laughs> from the lift of your wings i'm terrified oh yeah laura <laughs> sing it get it one more verse come on oh no i can't sing was that was actually not that bad. was wonderful yeah uh here i'll inspire you again <laughs> Do it with her. No. <laughs> I tried, y'all. I tried. I know. You can get me drunk and I'll come up with the lyrics to the rest of it. Okay, sure. <laughs>